Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Lang Up podcast. Today's episode will feature our conversation with Michelle Wee at the Callaway Epic Flash launch event at the ECPC in Carlsbad, California. Uh, This episode is going to be a bit different. We only had about 25 minutes with Michelle and did our best to cover as much as we could from her career. We only really scratched the surface, so I'm going to do my best to try to add some color and context in certain areas and weave that in and out uh, in addition to the audio from the interview. I'm not going to do it chronologically or really even logically. I'm just going to try to tell Michelle's story in the best way I can. And it won't be complete, but hopefully everyone walks away from this having learned a little bit about Michelle. I was fortunate enough to tee it up with Michelle Wee at the Pro-Am at the KPMG Women's PGA in June. Michelle's been dealing with an abundance of media requests for the better part of two decades. And I was not surprised when we weren't able to track her down for a podcast around that time. I wasn't sure if we'd ever be able to track her down, but as was typical with our experience on the LPGA Tour, we had a blast during the Pro-Am, and by the end of the day, she was more than comfortable to roast me for the size of my divots, the line I took on 18. Where are you going? (laughs) And the overall state of my game. If it's like a you know, a scene of a horrific accident and you have to do triage, like what are you treating first? What's the most? (laughs) It's too late. It's too late. And on this go around in Carlsbad, she was all in for the podcast and whatever we really wanted to do on the video front. There's a lot to cover with Michelle, but we had to start with the most pressing question at the moment, which is the state of her health. Uh, wrist update. Um, everything is getting better and better. Um, surgery was very successful. I had it done back in October. Um, you know, just swelling's going down more and more every day. I'm doing strengthening, doing laser. Um, So every day it's a process. I'm trying to be as patient as I can, Um, especially being here, seeing all the new equipment. There's nothing more I want to do than just like test drivers (laughs) all day long. Um, But I'm going to go see my doctor in New York um, in a couple of weeks and get a final okay. I can start putting and chipping when I go back to Florida now. Um, And hopefully hit golf balls uh, February and be back mid-February. Is this the same wrist you've been dealing with for, I mean, how long, I guess, has this issue been going on for you? Is it since you were a teenager? Is this the same? I I know you had wrist injuries late in your teen years, but Mm -hmm. is this the same one? Yeah, well, unfortunately, well, I broke three bones in my left hand, um, have arthritis, and then I had a stress fracture in my right hand a couple years ago. Um, But this is a completely different related um, incident. I got into a car accident, unfortunately, two years ago. Whereas we ended on the highway um, and I had my right hand on the wheel um, and had an avulsion fracture. Didn't really think it was from the car accident because it didn't really hurt too bad at the time. And over time, I was like, I just don't know what this is. And, you know, I was kind of being, you know, just not clear about it in the media because I didn't really know what was going on. So I didn't want to give out bad information. Um, But, yeah, it's been it's been a bit of a struggle. Um, You know, my neck injury that happened last year was from the same accident. So it's been a little bit of a tough time trying to deal with that um but you know met some good doctors and finally figured out what exactly was happening um got surgery and hopefully this would be you know new year healthier me 
Let's go back to the beginning. And being the trusted journalist that I am, I should note that the information I'm pulling for this episode comes deep from the archives of Wikipedia. Michelle was born in Honolulu, Hawaii in October of 1989. Her parents immigrated from Korea in the 80s, her father being a professor of travel industry management at the University of Hawaii, and her mother was South Korea's women's amateur champion in 1985. When Michelle was born, she was a dual citizen of South Korea and the United States, but has since renounced her Korean citizenship. We began playing golf at the age of four, and the accolades quickly accumulated. She became the youngest player to ever qualify for the U.S. Women's Public Links Championship at the age of 10. And in 2002, she won the Hawaii State Open Women's Divisions by 13 shots. That year, the 12-year-old also became the youngest player to ever qualify for an LPGA event, the Takafuji Classic held in Wii's home state of Hawaii. In Sports Illustrated, Steve Boshdosh noted that the two most impressive things about Michelle were her preternatural maturity and her fabulous swing fundamentals. Her grip, posture, and wide base with her feet are ideal, allowing for a big shoulder turn, a super wide swing arc, and terrific balance. All of this results in tremendous club head speed and length. We became the youngest player in LPGA history to make a cut when she did so at the 2003 Kraft Nabisco Championship. And not only that, the 13-year-old fired a third-round 66 to put her in the final group on Sunday in a major championship. In June 2003, Michelle won the Women's Amateur Public Links Tournament, becoming the youngest person ever, male or female, to win a USGA adult event. And later that summer at the U.S. Women's Open, when she was still just 13 years old, She made the cut, also the youngest player to ever do so. I talked a bit about Michelle Wee with Karen Stupples, a former LPGA player who is now an analyst with the Golf Channel. Well, I I first uh, had an opportunity to watch Michelle Wee play firsthand when she was uh, just a 13-year-old and she got an invite to play in one of the LPGA tournaments in Hawaii. And uh, those days, you would just sign your name up on the on the score on the on the in the locker room and go out and play a practice round. Well, I was joined by this very tall young lady uh, called Michelle Wee and there had been talk about you know this phenomenal talent that was coming out of Hawaii and I I didn't really think much of it because you know when you when you turn up to play with a 13 year old you don't expect them to be so well prepared and so well balanced and and so tall um, to be honest with you I mean if, if you weren't looking at her I mean she had this you know, a little a baby face, really, as you would at 13. And, and then, but she was, you know, so, so tall and so physically mature. And uh, she hit the ball incredible. And I was just really taken aback at, at, at her skill level so young. I mean, I, I didn't start playing golf properly till I was 13. So to see somebody already, LPGA tour already, professional golf ready at 13 was, uh, was quite, quite impressive. And, and uh, quite scary, really. And, and, and I think that, you know, I looked at her and I thought, wow, this really is the future. It was at this time that we turned at least a portion of her attention to the men's game. She was given a sponsor's exemption to the 2004 Sony Open in Hawaii. She is the fourth female to play in a PGA Tour event and believed to be the youngest to ever play in a PGA Tour event. This made it! I played awesome tennis, so... Just one shot better and I could have made it and just 
killing me right now, but I think I played very good today. You missed the cut by one as a 14-year-old at the Sony Open. How long ago does that feel? That's like one of my favorite stats, like <laughs> underrated stories ever. Like you were 14 and almost made the cut in a PGA Tour event. Uh, you know, that feels like a lifetime ago. I know. Um, you know, I, the thing that I remember most about that is that I had like a 9-footer, 15-footer for birdie on the last hole and to go to even par, which I knew historically always made the cut. That was always a cut number. And then I made the pie. I had a fist pump. And I was like, I made it. Came off the green. And I had this huge smile on my yeah. face. My mom's like, yeah, you did it. <laughs> so I was like, no. <laughs> um, but, you know, I shot 68 that day. So I was really proud of myself for coming back. Um, and just looking back on it, I was 14. It's amazing. What was I doing? <laughs> it's like, well, that's, I kind of wanted to ask, too, is like if you could go back in time and tell – 14 or 15 year old Michelle Wee something what would you tell that person now you know I don't regret it at all I I really enjoyed it I would say do it um you know I really proud of myself for not having the fear not having you know not listening to you know people being like don't do it don't do oh, it oh I definitely agree with that I was yeah. just saying overall like if you if you were to go back in time that person if you're like uh -huh. all right here's what you need to know going forward what would that be um you know no I don't know um I don't know, actually. I think maybe don't wear those horrible outfits. <laughs> Which uh, ones? Um, you know, I had one of these like really tight khaki pants. I mean, I think golf attire back in the day, it was just like kind of tragic. You know, I look back and the, some of the outfit choices that I made um, were these like huge earrings. And I was like, looking back, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> or like black eyeliner all around my eyes. I thought that was a great idea. Um, went through a huge emo phase. Um, but yeah, probably outfit choices. <laughs> Michelle, we has always had, you know, huge expectations. And, and I think, you know, within the realms of women's golf, the expectations were for her to be a world beater, to, to challenge Annika Sorenstam, your Kari Webbs, Julie Inksters, you know, your Hall of Famers um, in, in the realm of women's golf. But she, she decided to go down a slightly different path and play uh, a lot of men's tournaments and challenge herself in that way. And in many ways, it had to be very uh, scary, certainly a scary prospect for me watching for her because that's a... That's a huge step to make and you're putting yourself out there at such a young age. But when you think about what she did at the Sony Open, uh, just missing the cut by one, I mean, she had the game for it, but I think it was just a bit too much too soon. But everybody's expectations were huge for her to, to go and achieve. And I think all of women's golf actually wanted her to succeed because it's, that's that, that gap that hasn't been bridged yet. After the impressive showing at the 2004 Sony Open, the accolades continued to accumulate for the amateur. And I realize it's unlikely you'll retain all this information, but I'm going to list off some more of the accomplishments just to emphasize how remarkable it was for her to be so active in so many areas of the golf world at once. She again played in the LPGA Kraft Nabisco Championship, finishing fourth as a 14-year-old amateur, and she became the youngest woman to ever play in the Curtis Cup. She accepted another sponsor's exemption to the 2005 Sony Open, where she shot 75-74 to miss the cut. She played in five more LPGA Tour events in 2005, as well as the John Deere Classic. It was her third outing on the PGA Tour, and while she missed the cut by two, she again beat a plethora of seasoned male tour pros on one of their courses. When I first saw her and, and through those, those subsequent years, I mean, she was Michelle was scary good. Um, she She obviously had a lot of learning to do and some refining to do. But she was, I mean, the, the physical talent was there. And if, if you ask me then and if you ask me now who has the most, you know, the most talent of any player 
uh, playing golf, it would be always be Michelle Wee. It was Michelle Wee then and it's Michelle Wee now. It's all what she wants to achieve and what she wants to do and, and, and how physically she's capable of doing it with all the injuries now is the biggest question. And on October 5th, 2005, a week before her 16th birthday, Michelle Wee announced that she was turning professional. She signed sponsorship contracts with Nike and Sony, reportedly worth more than $10 million per year. What what was it like to enter the world of professionalism at the age of 15? I, I mean, from the standpoint of endorsements and just everything, the adult decisions that got put, put on you very early mm-hmm. early on. What was that like? And do you remember kind of that time or was it just all whirlwind to you? I thought it was awesome yeah, turning pro at 16. I was like, <laughs> oh, let's 16. go. <laughs> um, you know, but my parents did a really good job. You know, they put every all the money into a trust and okay. I didn't see any of it for a long it. time. I still had a credit card limit, so I wasn't like spending <laughs> a lot of money. Um, but also I went to school. My parents, right. you know, didn't pull me out of school. They said that education was as important as golf and they, you know, really for, like not forcing, but they really emphasized me going to college and having a normal life. So I was very fortunate about that. And my friends at high school didn't really care they didn't like know anything about golf and you know because I turned pro that didn't make me any cooler I was very uncool in high school that actually made me less cool really um so yeah I just uh I was pretty normal I guess that for Michelle after she turned professional I, I I think that the expectation and the weight on her shoulders to be the female Tiger Woods I think took its toll I think everybody was scrutinizing her she was in the public eye she's that, you know, definitely the world, the, the most well-known figure in women's golf and still is. And, and I think that was, uh, that's a lot to put on somebody so young shoulders. And, and I think that it, that, that had to be very difficult for her. When we turned professional, she was not a member of any professional tour. The minimum age requirement for the LPGA Tour is 18 years old. And although some players have successfully petitioned for an exemption to join at age 17, We elected not to request an exemption and was thus only allowed to participate in a limited number of LPGA Tour events when given a sponsor's exemption from 2005 all the way until 2008. Her first professional season went well. She finished tied for third at the first major of the year, the Kraft Nabisco, tied for third at the U.S. Women's Open, and tied for fifth at the Women's PGA Championship. She also finished runner-up at the Avion Masters before it was considered a major on the LPGA Tour. Then, in December of 2006, Michelle announced that she would be attending Stanford University, where she would be ineligible to participate on the golf team due to her professional status. What was college like trying to balance, you know, playing professionally and going to school but not playing, obviously, at Stanford? Oh, my God. Stanford was the best time of my life i loved it and then but looking back on it i honestly do not know how i did that i don't know how i graduated uh, playing golf full-time i mean looking back at it i'm like this is crazy i took the number maximum number of units i took 20 units which is four to five classes and I, I played a full schedule. It's not like I, I didn't play how, a full schedule. I don't know I how I did that. I don't either. You all the classes, right? Pretty you much, yeah. The road and stuff. Yeah. Like um, thankfully, Stanford had an honor system, so I was able to take tests on the road. And my professors, you know, worked well with me. Um, but I didn't have a tutor. I didn't have anyone. I just went into office hours and talked a lot with the TAs and just kind of figured it out. Um, but it was awesome. So my, I had some rough years out on tour, um, but it was also really nice to have school um, to go and kind of have that be my escape. And when I went to school, I was completely just a normal civilian, as they called me, because I didn't play sports at Stanford. Um, so that was just awesome. Some of the coolest people I ever met um, was at Stanford. Um, and I just, I loved it. 
I don't remember this. Refresh my memory. Did did you deal with criticism at that time from any any media outlets saying like you are, you know, not focusing on your pro career mm-hmm. by spending your time in college, which seems kind of silly to say out loud. But was that a legitimate criticism at the time? And do you? Remember oh that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I got a lot of criticism for that for going to school and choosing to get my education while playing golf, and I just to my core did not understand it. I was like, how can someone criticize another person for? choosing to have an education like i like to me like still to this day i just like do not understand that argument like yes i want to play golf yes i want education i'm entitled to do both like i i can do both if i want to it's yes it's making my life very difficult and maybe i could have played better if i didn't play didn't go to school but who knows i still won twice right while at Stanford, which, you know, not a lot of people like right. really talk about. But, you know, I just that's why I when I talk to kids and when I talk to them, I it breaks my heart sometimes seeing kids feel like they need to drop out of school in order to focus on golf. There's enough time in the day to do both. If you just dedicate your time and really if you really want it all, you can have it all. And that's kind of like the menta- like the mindset that I want to give younger kids because you never know with sports, you know? You never know what's going to happen. It could have an injury. You could all of a sudden not love the game anymore. And then what are you going to do if you don't have an education? You know, what do you have to fall back on? Yeah, I think it's easy to kind of look at it very surface level. Even when I was like doing research last night, just seeing like, oh yeah, she went to school. Well, why did she do that? And then seeing your face light up when talking about Stanford, that explains kind of the whole thing. It's, It's like there's more to enjoying life than just competing all the time or having that being your only mindset. Exactly. And I feel like, um, you know, going to school, I learned more outside the classroom than I did in the classroom. Who uses their actual college degree, right? I mean, unless you're a doctor or whatever. But um, I just felt like I learned so much about myself, you know, living in the dorms and because granted, I did not have a normal childhood as much as normal as it was turning pro at 16. It's not normal. So I think going through normal life steps and normal life mishaps, I think it it, I feel more normal. I guess I use the word normal a lot right now. <laughs> um, but I just, I enjoyed it. I love school too. And I came from a very academic family. Everyone on my dad's side has a PhD or a doctorate. So for me to be the only one in my family not to have gone to college is was right. going to be weird. Yeah. <laughs> a quick break to let you guys know we are giving away a Callaway Epic Flash driver in this podcast. All you got to do, go into iTunes, leave a five-star rating, and leave a funny review. Make us laugh, tell a funny story, make a rhyme, a poem, a song, whatever you want to do. Make it funny, make us laugh. Don't ask for the driver in the in the whatever you type out. That will not you will not be winning, I promise if that's the case. But make us laugh and the best one that makes us laugh the most is going to win a Callaway Epic Flash driver. This this driver was created with artificial intelligence, a supercomputer designed the face of this driver. We just got ours this week. I went out with it this weekend. And I could not believe how far I was launching of this this thing. And not only the distance, it was way straighter. It helped that I got I got fit for the proper shaft this time around. But go to CallawayGolf.com for more information on the Epic Flash. And again, leave a, leave a five-star review and leave a comment in iTunes that makes us laugh. And you can win a Epic Flash driver. Now back to our podcast with Michelle Wee. While Michelle enjoyed some success on the LPGA Tour in 2006, elsewhere this was not the case. At the John Deere Classic on the PGA Tour, after a six over par first round and 10 strokes off the projected cut, midway through round two, she withdrew from the tournament, citing heat exhaustion. However, we finished the season with several disappointing performances in both male and female tournaments, including the Omega European Masters, 
the 84 Lumber Classic, the LPGA Tours Samsung World Championship, and the Casio World Open. At one point, we had played 14 consecutive rounds of tournament golf without breaking par and had missed the cut in 11 out of 12 tries against men and remained winless against the women. Her slump continued into 2007, which included a four-month hiatus due to injuries to both wrists, a disqualification, several missed cuts, and withdrawals. Things kind of culminated when we walked out of the 2007 Gin Tribute with only two holes left in the first round. The LPGA Tour has a rule that non-members who don't break 88, in which we was only two bogeys away from that, cannot play for the rest of the year. That comes from the Associated Press. Michelle followed that up by showing up at the tournament course on the weekend to hit balls. This did not sit well with the LPGA Tour's biggest star, Annika Sorenstam, who happened to be the tournament host. Annika said, I just feel like there's a little bit of a lack of respect and class just to leave a tournament like that and then come out and practice here. It's a little funny that you pull out with an injury and you then you start grinding. Criticism was sent her way from seemingly all directions and for multiple reasons, ranging from some of her aforementioned incidents on the LPGA Tour to her decision to play in so many men's events. I, I think that, you know, yes, Michelle Wee was really heavily criticized for uh, getting involved with, with men's golf. And from my perspective, somebody has to to cross that barrier. And I've always believed that if you, you have to start that from a young age. You you can't just jump into men's golf when you're, you know, 25, 30, because you have to grow up. Uh, experiencing what it's like playing the shots into the greens from a long distance because when you're playing LPGA tournaments if you're a longer player you're you're going into a lot of the greens with just a wedge all of a sudden if you you try and take that game to the PGA Tour or in men's golf in general you're going in with five irons the the green looks very different from 200 yards away than it does from 120 yards away so you know, you, to to grow into it was was probably the the right approach to take if that was where your dream was. Um, I I do think the the learning to win aspect from at all levels of the game was probably something that she maybe could have done. Maybe play, but but then opportunities to play in boys amateur events probably weren't all that open to her. And uh, you know, we're we're looking at a changing time now in this day and age within the realms of inclusion and stuff as well. And it might not be this might not be that hard these days to do that. But at the time she was that trendsetter trying to make that happen. Um, to be honest, I think back in the day I was very fortunate to have grown up in a world with no social media. Yes. So if I wanted to tune it out, I really easily could because my phone didn't have internet on it. I didn't even have a phone. I mean, to get to a computer, I mean, it was, you have to like go through the modem thing. So to block out the haters were actually so easy. Right. Like when I went to school, none of my friends played golf, so we never even talked about it. It was like I was like I didn't realize how big of a deal it was until later on when people kept asking me about it. Um, but yeah, I just it was easy to block it out because honestly, it was hard to get the information. <laughs> what is how different is that from today? I mean, so different. I mean, I think if I had if I was fourteen, I just like think it's crazy about these kids growing up now in this time of age where social media it's just so easy you know to get information to like the cyberbullying is real now um so i just i i feel very fortunate that i didn't grow up with that because um you know growing the way i did was hard enough <laughs> as it is um but yeah it's it's, it's hard now as social media is a whole thing does it bother do you see a lot of this stuff any like stuff now these days do you see a lot of it does it bother you do you block it out do you just block people on twitter <laughs> how do you handle that um you know i try to block it out as much as i can personally um you know i think 
in 2000, I guess 2019 now, um, you have to just be very aware of what you post and what you put out there. And, you know, I try to stay very true to myself. Um, you know, I have a very strict, I don't talk bad about people policy in public. Um, you know, if I have an issue with someone, I, that's just my personal belief to go up to someone personally. And I just see a lot of people just kind of talking bad about each other where they don't even know it's just but you know i i love do i do love blocking people on social <laughs> media you know time and time i see a couple of you know really mean comments pop up in my feed i'm like oh block love also reporting people too oh i like that yeah i like that hold people accountable oh yeah with a much different game than she had when she was 14 2008 was another rough year for michelle in the six events she played on the lpga tour she only made the cut in three and recorded no top 10 finishes she played the Reno Tahoe Open on the PGA Tour and shot 73.80. It was the last tournament she played on the PGA Tour, and I asked her why that was. Um, you know, I just want to focus on playing on LPGA Tour. I think um, I just got to a point where I really wasn't playing well in them, and you know, I just felt like I needed to focus more on the LPGA side and try to become the best player that I could be on you know the women's tour. Um, and I just, you know, wanted to be on tour full time. Because I think uh, the reason why I'm asking or kind of focusing on that is I, I think your game was a lot different back then than it mm -hmm. is now. So it does your, what, how different, I guess in your own words, how different is your game now compared to then? And did you have to kind of transition that to be more effective on the LPGA tour? And what was the thought process behind that? Um, you know, when I play in 2004 Sony Open, I hit the ball very far. Right. I mean, I was I was even one of the longer players out on the PGA Tour then. You know, I was hitting drives over 300 consistently. And then I, you know, had broke three bones in my wrist in 2007. And that kind of changed a lot about my game because, you know, my distance, you know, drastically went down and I just didn't hit the ball very far. And, you know, it, it was different. It was a different game mentality in playing with the men, trying to hit ball hard as you can every single time and then going on the LPG tour and then realizing that girls that were hitting at 200 yards off the tee were beating me and yeah. I'm like I gotta I gotta change my game and try to hit more fairways and you know last couple years ago I changed my ball flight to a fade um, and I felt like that really helped me um, so just trying to become more consistent because how does that work I guess for the LPGA tour because the men's game is so dominated by distance everything's long drive contest mm -hmm. like you referred to but in some of the LPGA tour events we went to this year nothing felt like a driving contest at any time it just didn't feel like driving it really close to the green helped you that much mm -hmm. how explain that to me or explain yeah. that to the listeners like why why does distance not as big of a focus in the women's game as it is the men's game well i think that it's just the way the course is set up um you know it doesn't really i mean it does give you an advantage i think you have players like aria jatanagarn who hit the ball very far and you know when she does utilize that i see it you know really helping her like some players like lexi thompson as well and you know, I try to utilize my distance the way I can, but then you also don't need to. I think with technology nowadays, um, you know, with woods and hybrids, they are acting more like if you had a my eleven wood spins. <laughs> yes, I have an eleven wood. I see the look I that you're I'm giving sorry, me. I, can't, I know that my you favorite did. club, my bag. I knew that you did, but just hearing that out loud just had to make me laugh. I'm sorry. Um, but you know, it's like. The difference between eleven one and five iron back in the day when that wasn't even available made a huge difference to have an eight iron in your hand. But now these hybrids in these woods are acting and spinning the same amount as an eight iron. So whether you have a hundred and eighty in or a hundred yards in, these girls are as accurate with their hybrids and their woods as I am with my wedge. 
So it all depends on your second shot coming in and, you know, just putting and shirking, really. We made it through qualifying school in 2008 and was ready for her first fully exempt season on the LPGA Tour. And this time, she really was ready. She came out firing in her first event of the year, the SBS Open at Turtle Bay, and held a three-shot lead with eight holes to play. But she double bogeyed the 11th hole, and Angela Stanford made three straight birdies coming in and managed to edge out Michelle by three strokes. We was still winless, and I say that slightly tongue-in-cheek, as she was still yet to turn 20 years old. She threatened at several events through 2009, but her best chance came late in the season. Michelle Wee has been a household name in the golf world since she was 12 years old. Expectations have been sky high, but to this point, she's still looking for her first win as a professional. And she'll have another chance to get it today. She begins the final round of the Lorena Ochoa Invitational, tied for the lead. And this time, things would go differently. And now, after 65 starts on the LPGA Tour, <laughs> Michelle Wee is finally a champion. I think that the reaction that the whole tour in general, when, when Michelle won in 2009, was just big relief. It, it's like, okay, she's won now. Okay, it, it could this just let the floodgates be open now and, and, and let her go on and, and win. And I think for the most part, we all thought that was going to be the case. And she was going to be the, a big dominant force within in the women's game. Once she, once she had done it once, we thought this was going to be it. Um, obviously not really to be the case, but but so much of that has been injury related. And she's her own person, you know, in many ways that she... She she works on her golf game differently to a lot of people. I think she sees the challenge of golf slightly different to a lot of people that play golf for a living. People play golf for a living, one, to make a living, obviously, to, to win tournaments and to be world number one. I, I actually feel like Michelle plays tournament, plays golf because she loves the challenge that it gives her to, to, to solve the puzzle for herself, to play golf the way she, she, she can play golf. And it's, I think that's what gives her the thrill of playing. Not so much necessarily, obviously winning is great, but I think that that's a, as a byproduct. She followed that win with another one at the 2010 CN Canadian Women's Open. But a dry spell hit again, and Michelle would go winless from 2011 to 2013. There were a few close calls sprinkled in, but the consistency was still not there. Featuring a new tabletop putting style, Michelle won for the first time in almost four years in April of 2014 at the LPGA Lata Championship. And then later that summer, despite a double bogey at the 70th hole, we rallied for a birdie on the penultimate hole at Pinehurst. And one hole later. What a way to break through for Michelle Wee at Pinehurst. Her first major championship is the U.S. Women's Open. Uh, I want to talk about about winning the U.S. Open. I think uh, I, I I went through the process. So when you won, we were obviously pulling for you down the stretch. Had a big panic when you doubled the 16th hole, <laughs> uh, and I was like, "Oh wow, it's so cool to see you finally break through and win a major." And I looked at your Wikipedia, like at the age of, oh my gosh, she's still only 24. <laughs> but like, did it feel like a really long journey to winning your first major, even though you were 24 years old when you won it? Oh yeah, I mean, I I got close so many times. So the first major, um, first Craft Nabisco, then Craft Nabisco, now A and A. Um, I played it when I was 13 and I was in the final group on Sunday. Um, and I just like, and then I had a three Jeez. shot lead when I was 14 or 15 at Cherry Hills going to the last day. 
Um, so I just, there's so many times where I was so close. I had the lead, I was close. And, you know, that was, that started from when I was 13, I guess the 24th. So it's like over a 10 year yeah, span. Yeah, that's what made it feel long. It yeah, was a long time. I guess so. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I was just like, I was just, the feeling that I got when I won the US Open, I was just like, was just so relieved. I was just. Was it relief for yourself or was it relief like the monkey off the back? Like mm -hmm. people will stop talking about not winning a major. Was it or a combination of both? I think when you win your first tournament and when you win your first major, there's just a sense of validation. Yeah. Um, you know, especially there was just so much, there was a lot of hype around me growing up. And, you know, I just always felt like I just, I always could have done better. I always could do better. Um, and just like winning, it just kind of validated everything that I, I thought about myself. And I just, I just felt so happy in that moment. It was the potential that everybody had seen finally being realized. It's like, okay, this is, the Michelle Wee that we believe has been in there the whole time. Um, a, a person that has this incredible ability, incredible talent um, that was hindered by injuries. But now, you know, finally, could this be the catalyst that sparks this this big surge of of wins for her? And and, it, and of course, it, the injuries kicked off again pretty much straight away after. And I think she's been really unlucky. In, in many ways with that, because just when th things start to turn around for her, another injury happens. I said it was relief when she won her first event. I think it was, again, another relief, but in, in, in a respect that, okay, this is, this, is the, this is what we all have known has been in there, has finally been let out. Many times of the course of her career, certain moments really did feel like the floodgates were opening. And now that she was a major champion, would the titles start flowing in regularly? But this would not be the case. In 2015, she failed to record a single top 10. 2016 was even worse as she recorded a career-high 13 missed cuts. She rebounded nicely in 2017, registering six top five finishes, but she was still winless since the major breakthrough. That was until March of 2018. If it goes in, she leads. That bomb from off the green at the final hole of the 2018 HSBC Women's World Championship gave her a one-stroke victory over Brooke Henderson, Danielle Kang, Nellie Korda, and Jenny Shin. I asked Michelle if she'd been feeling the burden again of having not won a tournament in almost four years. Yeah, for sure. You know, after I won the US Open, you know, I had a stress fracture in my hand. You know, I just had a couple of uh, tough years yeah. with, you know, injuries and, you know, health issues. So it, it was it just felt amazing um, to go out there and win Singapore. And, you know, it's pretty funny. I forgot which media outlet kind of posted it. But I think it was I won that week and then Phil won that week and Tiger was in contention. And they're like, what year are we in? <laughs> I was like, wait, I'm not that old. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I can still do this. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's been a roller coaster ride, uh, Michelle Wee's career for, for me. In, in that, you know, I, I look at it from the outside in, and I look, at, but but knowing how I would feel in her shoes, and and I think that in in many ways there are disappointments uh, that have happened along the way from the injury perspective, and uh, from me seeing somebody that has so much potential not being able to fully realise that potential. Um, that, so there's a certain element of frustration, but there's also an element of admiration too, because she's gone about her her career in in the limelight with grace. Really, uh, she doesn't kick up a fuss on social media about comments that people make. Um, her parents don't kick up a fuss about comments that people make about them or Michelle. 
they just quietly go about their business, playing golf, trying to get around the golf course the best that they can, given the injuries that they're dealing with at the time. So in, in, in many ways, there's, there's, there's lots to be said about that. But I think, uh, I think that those two are my main ones. That win was the fifth of Michelle's career, but again, her 2018 season would be riddled with wrist issues, which she's still battling today. Michelle remains as the most marketable figure on the LPGA Tour, which has seen an incredible resurgence in the last decade. Mike Wan took over as commissioner of the tour in 2010, and in his first season, the tour held just 24 events for a total prize pool of $41.4 million. Compare that to 2018, where they held 33 events for just under $67 million in prizes. Regular listeners of this podcast have heard us rave about the time we spent with the folks on the LPGA Tour this year. I asked Michelle about Mike Wan and the effect he's had in the atmosphere of the tour as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think he's done a great job. You know, we were not in a great state when he came on board, and he did a great job of, you know, repairing some of the damage and, um, you know, really really helping us launch forward. And it's just been amazing to see the energy that's been around our tour. And, you know, people that come out to our events and, you know, people like you that get to experience our tour for the first time and just having a blast. I mean, that's what we're all about. You know, it's good people, good golf. And, you know, I hope that everyone that watches our, our golf are just entertained. Um, and I think pro is a very important part of our, our tour, um, you know, just every year, it's just growing and growing more tournaments. It's really exciting to see. Do you have a favorite stop, annual stop on tour, favorite tournament, or um, is it know, probably going to be food-related, whatever your favorite oh, yeah. stop is, right? I love the West Coast Swing, for that matter. <laughs> I mean, San Diego, um, love the Kia Classic just because San Diego has great food. Um, and then I think ANA is definitely one of my mm-hmm. favorite spots because there's so much history there, just so many great memories. And, you know, any tournament that brings me back home to Hawaii is also one of my favorites, too. I just love the whole West Coast Swing. Yeah, because you're like a food junkie right I mean, oh, yeah. of some kind you got an instagram that tracks all your food and all that oh got... yeah at what do we eat yes <laughs> yeah i, I... <laughs> plug that in right now <laughs> in the limited time i've spent with michelle she's been a delight to be around and although controversy does seem to surround her she seems to be extremely comfortable in her own skin she's genuinely funny and for lack of better words she just seems very normal and the controversy just feels very distant and far away so when we played together at the KPMG Women's PGA, you made a sly comment about the fact that you hate drama, quote unquote. You said it kind of with a smirk. So, so do you love drama? Uh, <laughs> do you remember saying this? No, I don't. You kind of like looked at me like, yeah, I, mean, I, I hate drama, but kind of with a little smirk on your face, like secretly you kind of <laughs> love it. I mean, you have a controversies section of your Wikipedia page. Did you know that? Oh boy. <laughs> oh. Oh boy. It's not that controversial. It's what, like about what, what playing controversy? It's like about playing men's events and stuff like that. Well, so. I think the thing is is that I just don't like I I did not have a normal life path. And I have like problem with authority as well too. I have problem with people telling me that I can't do it. And I'm like asking the reasoning why. And it's just like, just because it's not normal, like that doesn't make sense to me. Like I'm just going to do what I want to do. Um, but I do, I, I don't like drama, but I also secretly love stirring the pot sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very evil way, of, an evil, evil look on your face as you said that. So. Michelle provides a pretty interesting behind-the-scenes look on her life on her Instagram, and one constant you'll see there is Danielle Kang, another one of our favorite podcast guests from last year. I asked her about their friendship and her best Danielle story. We just have so much fun together, and we literally just, like, yell at each other all the time. In a friendly way, or...? Um, we just, I just, every time I look at her, I just immediately, my automatic response is just shake my head. (laughs) I'm like, you're such an idiot. (laughs) 
literally i just i just like i don't know any anything that she does i'm just like you're such an idiot <laughs> like why my friends with you um but honestly i just i have so much fun traveling with her you know we we room together uh, from time to time and as much as we fight and whatnot she's one of the easiest people to room with and we just we're like siblings because so there seems to be a whole camaraderie aspect of the LPGA tour too, more so than we see on the PGA tour. Mm -hmm. People bunking up together and traveling together, and just it it all it really does seem like. I mean, I'm sure there's some rivalries internally, but it seems like you guys are all like really good friends and just enjoy touring together and competing. Does that sound right? Yeah, for sure. I think that it's it's very clicky. I think you know I, I'm very fortunate to have you know very close knit group of friends where you know when they play well, I'm very happy for them. When I play well, um, they're happy for me. We have uh, we have this like awful choker um that we got at a store and it's like a pink netted choker with like these fuzzy balls attached to it okay and we have like a um a thing where you know me marina and daniel um we every time we play and the worst player of that week um <laughs> has to wear it in a practice round the next week oh man i've never yeah. seen i've never even seen a picture of this oh it's bad it's it's very bad um you know so we kind of try to do fun things here and there like couple bets um one time daniel bought a bag of fireworks um and she texted me that i'm like oh no this is gonna end very badly for me i know this <laughs> um and there's like those things that the small fireworks where you like you throw it and it pops okay and we're doing a practice round like putting and marina and danielle like they start throwing it and i'm like sucking fire <laughs> like it's awful and uh you know, it's just fun things that we do on the road, just, you know, to lighten the mood because it gets, you know, it gets, uh, it gets tough at times. And to have a support system, to have a sisterhood out there, it, I think it's very important. All right. A couple of questions we love to ask pretty much all of our guests. When was the last time you paid for golf? Oh, um, uh, like around mm -hmm. or uh, <laughs> like when I was. 10. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly why we ask it. Everyone's always like, oh, I've never even thought of this. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, if there's, w if you could have one mulligan, one shot back from any time in your career that you would do over, do you have one? Ooh, that's a hard one too. Um, I think it would have been actually, I've been thinking about this a lot um, lately, and I think it would have been Cherry Hills U.S. Open when I was like 14. I had a three-shot lead going into Sunday, and I decided to go for the green on the first hole. It was a par, oh, it's a right. drivable par four, and I triple bogeyed the first hole. Ended up shooting 80 that day, and I feel like if I just laid up, you're on the wrong podcast to be get, to be to have this be your mulligan. I know. <laughs> No laying up. I wish I had laid up. <laughs> I wish I had laid up. If it had meant you would have won the U.S. Open, I would have. We could allow that. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. So, all right. On that note, I know you got a lot to do today, but thank you for spending a few yeah. minutes with us. This was fun. And uh, we need one more thing. We need you to go. We're going to shoot a video with you hopefully today. We okay. need you to teach Big Randy tabletop putting. Oh, yeah. Where did that come from? And why did you abandon that? Well, I had the yips. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the Y word. That'll do it. Exactly. So, you know, you. You'll do anything to get over the yips, and that you that know, cured him. That cured it. That okay, that's perfect. I, I want the U.S. Open like that, so exactly. you know what. <laughs> Randy is a little bit yippy, so that's perfect. So, perfect. all right, thank you, Michelle, and uh, we'll uh, hopefully catch up with you again soon. Perfect. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most!
expect anything. 